This morning, um, we are in Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18 here in a minute. Uh, and I'm going to read this scripture. And uh, we got a message called Broken. You know, many times in uh, life, we don't fix things until they're broken. Have you noticed that? We actually got a good old saying in eastern Kentucky called, If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Y'all heard that? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so many times that's the way we approach uh, uh, life is, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Paul understood this, um, and I understand this, you know, uh, and, and plumbing is like the worst thing. It wasn't too long after we moved into our house the, the first time um, that we noticed uh, this wet spot or this brown spot starting to appear on the kitchen ceiling. And any of y'all who have second floors with bathrooms upstairs, when you start seeing that, you start to ask questions and wonder what is going on. And it slowly began uh, to grow. And uh, eventually we had to cut part of it out. You know, uh, we, 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 but we realized that something somewhere was broken. And there had come evidence of it. And so uh, it, it was actually two different things. It's the beauty of remodeling an old house. Um, our bathtub was leaking around the shower when you take a shower and get down. Also, the toilet was leaking around the drain. Beautiful, beautiful things. But we dug in and we fixed it because we realized it was broken. Um, and I don't know about you all, but sometimes I say something's tore up. You all ever say it's tore up? It's broken? I said that one time when I was in Ohio. I lived there for six months. Uh, worst decision of my life. Love you all from Ohio. Um, but I said that to some people I was working with one day. I said, this cash register's tore up or something like that. And they were like, what is tore up? What are you talking about? What does that even mean? Uh, but it was broken. We found out the, the bathtub was broken, and we found out that the toilet was broken, and we fixed it. And so Paul understood this about our life. And so when he transitions here from just his general introductions to, hey, I'm Paul, I'm a servant of Christ, to, uh, to I'm thankful for you. And we, we spent last week talking about the, the four priorities he had, that he'd been praying for them, that he was thankful for them. And when he transitions here, he gets into painting this picture, a very bleak picture, honestly, of mankind and humanity. Because he knew that you and I and the church at Rome could not 100% appreciate Christ's sacrifice and resurrection and salvation and grace until we truly understand how broken we are. So like an attorney almost, he begins to make his case here of why the world is lost. You know, he doesn't even mention God's commandments. In our culture, I mean, most of us would say, well, I'm lost because God gave us the Ten Commandments, and at some point I broke one of those commandments. Either I lied Y'all heard me confessing here several weeks ago, uh, or I stole, or, you know, I thought a bad thought, or, um, you know, uh, I've done something wrong at some point that broke God's commandments and laws. And here, Paul doesn't even start there. He starts really talking about the, the pagan culture that had never even been exposed to the commandments God had given Moses. And so he starts about talking, uh, starts talking about them with a very broad indictment against all mankind and the brokenness. It may answer questions if you've ever wondered, you know, why do we send missionaries across the globe? Why would we send missionaries into a, 
a country or region where they've never even heard of Christ, because once they've heard of him, then they can reject him. Right? You ever heard that counter-argument? Like, well, wouldn't they be better off if they were just left to their own devices? And we find out here that just in the natural state, in the fallen nature of Adam and sinful nature that every human being is born into, that we reject God. And Paul tells us this here. He says things like God revealed himself in his very creation and in the heart of man. He makes his case for why he was so passionate to get to these towns and why at the end he said, I really want to get to Spain. I mean, he was getting old and, and, he, he, and he's like, he was not slowing down in his great commission to get the gospel of Christ to the next person who had never heard it. And this is why. This is why, because mankind is broken. Not like, you know, you don't work. But we're broken in our relationship with our creator i want to look at this message under two headings really um, the first one is the we're going to look at our freedom to reject god this is not i loved preaching be changed the miracle of jesus right that's exciting i loved preaching that not go try to work and try to be better but just give it to him and be changed this message is a little more difficult. But he tells us we have the freedom to reject God. And then the second thing we see in these verses is that there are consequences of rejecting God. So let's read these verses, uh, verse 18 through 23 first, starting in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Underline that right there. People are without excuse. When I read this verse, I just got so excited about it. I'm going to talk about it more in a minute. But just thinking, uh, I mean, many of us love to sit on our porches and drink coffee and look at the mountains and the creation or go to the Smoky Mountains or go to the beach and see what God has created. And here he said he's revealed himself to us, all people, in his creation. I think that's just an amazing Thing. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, and this is while he's talking 2,000 years ago about people leading up to that time, I want you to think about the correlation to the culture and the time and the place in which we live today. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. We find that they, they, they in their, their rebellion and, and their arrogance and their idolatry, they began to put other things 
before God, and usually that starts with self, and they rejected God. They thought they knew better. They thought they were better, and it says in exchange for wisdom or pursuit of wisdom, thinking they were becoming wise, they became fools. I'm going to take just a minute, and we're going to talk a little science uh, for a minute, and then we'll move on. Um, but as God revealed himself, you, you remember, I've probably shared with you uh, many times that uh, when I was in college, I found this great love for, like, physics. I don't know, it's weird. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> Who does that? And astronomy and astrophysics, and, like, I loved all those formulas and understanding uh, space and time and and uh, you know, I, I mean, this my hobby was reading Albert Einstein. Only nobody has ever said that ever. Um, but I fell in love with all this this science. And and uh, at the time, I was questioning and trying to. I was seeking myself on what is what is creation? Who are we? What what is all this? And uh, it, it's amazing as I've grown in my faith and understand that that science, real science. And God's word will always go hand in hand because these formulas, all these things that are the laws of nature, really point to the wisdom and the intricacy of our Father. Of God, like these things, when we understand, I've just wondered, like, why, God, why did you make gravity acceleration 9.8 meters per second squared? Like, why did you get that detailed? You know what I mean? But, but he did. He is that incredible and that wise. And where does God reveal himself to us? Um, I, I mean, all these formulas, what people are really doing as the formulas get bigger, they are, they are really beginning to understand how God worked and functioned and how he created uh, our, our earth and, and our bodies. You, you think about the, the, the DNA, Right? I mean, think about that when, when they released it and the, the presence over there. They said, we, we are reading the language of God. That was some of the words they said. While we have, you know, a, a, a nine-digit social security number, God gave us a three-billion-digit individualized DNA that makes us unique from every other person that's ever walked this planet that tells all our organs and bodies how to live. So this is just, for me, amazing. It may bore you. To death, but I came across this group called Biomimicry, the Biomimicry Institute, and this is a group of uh, of engineers uh, and, and scientists and people who have learned and realized uh, that the greatest form of energy, the, the creators of energy, the most efficient, the greatest, the strongest forms of architecture and structure are actually found in nature. In nature, so they, they've started this whole institute of where they try to replicate basically what God has done. I'm going to share a little video right here just so you can see one, one very small example. Uh, but I want to go back to the space thing first. Fifty years ago, uh, it was common in the scientific community that uh, 60 years ago that, that the universe was eternal, that it had always been here. That had always been here. And uh, Albert Einstein believed that so much that even his own theory of relativity that he used calculations on, he determined that the universe was actually expanding consistently. Which for him should have been enough 
to understand that if you go backward in time, if something has always been expanding continuously, then if you go backward, at some point, it was nothing. <laughs> right? Yet, the, as science began to actually lead people to come up with the concepts called Big Bang Theory, to realize that the universe has not always been here. That even scientists have to come up with terms and other solutions and, and things to get away from the concept that there was a God that at one point spoke and things became. But now it's pretty much widely accepted that the universe is not eternal, has not always been here, that at some point there was a beginning. The human body is an amazing thing. Uh, I'm not. I, I hated biology so I don't, and anatomy. I didn't like any of that, but uh, I liked physics. Um, but the skeleton of the body, for example, 260 or 206 interworking bones, 23 of those fused around the most important organ that you have, your brain. And basically, stronger than any bicycle helmet you can go by is built into you, not on accident. Our thigh bones, for example, they have a structure at the end of them. It's like a honey bone, uh, honeycomb structure that that takes all these little fibers and it connects to the strongest part of the bone that this one bone your femur can withstand a half ton of pressure and weight look at this i want you to watch this video life has had 3.8 billion years of research and development biomimicry is about copying the best ideas nature has come up with in all that time Biomimicry was used in the design of one of the most iconic structures in the world, the Eiffel Tower. The designers of the famous tower in Paris took inspiration from a natural design principle called structural hierarchy. Take, for example, your femur bone or thigh bone. Your femur bone gets its strength from tiny tubes called osteons, composed of even tinier bundles inside called fibrils, tubes within tubes within tubes. When Eiffel was looking for lightweight strength for his tower, he applied a similar structural hierarchy of trusses within trusses within trusses to achieve it. The tower's curving support structures also appear in nature. Your femur bone is wide on top and then narrows as it goes down into your leg. When Eiffel was designing his tower in Paris, he looked at how the bone was reinforced along lines of stress. He realized that if he turned that upside down, he could have a very strong base that would handle any kind of winds that might hit the tower. So when you look at those crossbars on the Eiffel Tower, understand that those were inspired by the same lines of reinforcement that are in your bones. For more episodes of Think Like a Tree, subscribe to the Wired channel. There are, I mean, these just go on and on and on, the examples, the videos of how God revealed himself in nature. And yet some of these very people that are discovering it, that should be the God Tower, right? Not the Eiffel Tower. All he did was halfway mimic what God was able to do. God, in his love for us, gives us the opportunity to reject him. 
Because forcing us to accept him would not be real acceptance. He gives us this opportunity, gives us this freedom to reject him. And we find here that Paul makes the case against all mankind, says we all have seen it. It has been made obvious to everyone that there is a God. But we suppress the truth, thinking we become wise, we become fools. One person put it that uh, all of this, yeah, and, I mean, I could go on and on all this science stuff, the tilt of the axis, if it was off one billionth of a degree, wouldn't, there'd be no oxygen. I mean, just all these things, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up. That's partly true. But there's, there's so many of these things that, that, that one person said it would be like a, uh, a tornado going through a junkyard and leaving a perfect 747 uh, uh, commercial jetliner sitting there, okay? Like, to think this is all an accident and we just came from nothing takes more faith than believing in God in my mind. The proof is there, and he says we have the freedom to reject him. In verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, yet they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being. They put themselves, they put each other, we put animals, we put all kinds of idolatry and things before God. We then find he turns to the consequences of what comes of this when mankind rejects God. Some of the really scariest words, um, I think, in the Bible, it says, therefore God gave them over. For me, those are strong words. They're scary words. It says, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And he goes through this list of things uh, that, that they just became, um, that, that they perverted the way that God created us. Uh, it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served and created things uh, rather than the creator who is forever praised. So first we see the, the freedom to reject God, and in our freedom, in our natural state, mankind does reject him. And then we see the, the consequences, and in the consequences, uh, uh, let's see where this verse is. Let me find it. It's the first verse, verse 18, that we're talking about. Uh, we see the wrath of God. This is not something, you know, to get everybody hopped up about. This morning, we're talking about the wrath of God. Yep, that's what I expected. Nobody gets excited about that, but yet it's in the Bible. Yet it's here, and it is true. And in verse 18, it said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. His wrath is not like uh, maybe you've 
experienced the wrath of a parent or the wrath of a, a spouse or the wrath of a student or a teacher. Man, I used to have some teachers that could lose it like that. Did y'all have teachers that just, I mean, I've seen desk hit the wall. Y'all see stuff like that? Is that only in McGoffin County? No, God's wrath isn't like that. It isn't like he loses his temper all of a sudden because something happened he didn't know was going to happen. God doesn't lose his temper like that, but, but, but he just hates sin and rebellion and rejection so much. This is a very, it's a thoughtful and it's a decisive and it's a consistent wrath is that he cannot accept rebellion and rejection. And he will not. And the wrath of God is only goes upon people who deserve it, and we all deserve it. <laughs> okay, that's what he's making the case here. He's saying the wrath of God is being revealed upon mankind. This is not a momentary lapse of judgment or him losing his temper. His anger is consistent against it. One of the things he lets start to happen in is consequences. He allows us, when we reject him, to begin to receive consequences. He tells us, he goes through this list of many things. Um, uh, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Uh, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women. And things, uh, uh, things just got, uh, got completely out of whack of God's design and God's plan. It says, Men were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. So we find in this, this state... Uh, that, that God begins to let us enter into consequences. Consequences are important in life. When you're teaching a kid, consequences are important. You all know and have, have seen the, uh, 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 this example that comes to my mind. Um, there's a book out there called Boundaries. I don't know if many of you have read it. It's a kind of Christian perspective on relationships and when to say no and when to say yes and how people are consistently crossing boundaries and what healthy boundaries uh, look like one of the one of the conflicts of boundaries they talk about is where um, where many times uh, someone will not suffer consequences. There are always consequences, but someone will not suffer them their 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 own consequences because someone steps in and suffers it for them. This is like an example. Say you've got uh, a twenty five year old adult child living at home. That uh, is not working. That is not providing for. But they, uh, he or she, never feels the consequences. Of the, who usually feels the consequences in those situations? A parent or a grandparent. They are so. They will never make this decision if things are not bad for them. Well, I'm, well, I've never. I'm not working, but I got a safe place to sleep. I always have food. I always have. Like, it's, it's a training in their minds that it's okay. But here's what God said. He, did. he turns them over. If you, all right, you reject me, I'm turning you over. You're going to be a slave to sin. And in sin and in slavery to sin is 
tons of consequences. Both on this side, in earth, things get messy, it gets nasty. Your, your relationship, your broken relationship with me comes out in your friends and your family and your neighbors. And you suffer consequences. It's really, a, uh, it's, it's really a, another outpouring of grace and mercy from God that when we do wrong, there are consequences. I think of the prodigal son who, um, who, made, who made his way. He decided he could do it on his own, and he rebelled, and he went out, and he got his inheritance, and he, he went to the faraway country, and he squandered it all. And it didn't come to his mind to go home until he was slopping with the pigs. Until he faced the consequences. See, in those consequences, we get a taste of God's wrath. And he tells us that in those things, in our responses and our rebellion to him, uh, that not only will we get a taste here, but the wages of sin our death. That's pretty dire verses right here, isn't it? This is, this is pretty straightforward, Paul is saying to this group. He turned them over to impurity. He turned them over uh, to, to sexual perversion. You find in a culture where uh, people have rejected God individually, this is a place that begins to happen. Does that sound familiar? Does it look familiar in what is happening around us? We find he turns them over to a depraved mind that their thinking actually changes and they become a slave to sin. Give them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Listen to this list. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Again, 2,000 years ago, but sounds eerily familiar to a society and a culture that we live in. Here, and we, we, we tend to look around and say, man, the culture is so sinful. But I'm going to take you to James, read one verse, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. People are sinful. A culture is made up of people. You can't change a culture with policy. You change a culture through the gospel. One heart at a time. Now, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. I want to say I've, I've, I've heard this list my whole life in churches. 
all these bad people, right? This list of terrible things that will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. All these terrible things. And I, I, I mean, even when I started reading it this time, I was like, man, those people are bad. Those people are bad. Those are some bad people. Because here's what we do as, as Christians, and, and honestly, growing up in the Bible Belt is a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing because we're forced just by a culture to behave better than we normally would. Does that make sense? Like, we're, we're, I mean, everybody's good. Our family, for the most part, are good. You know, they're, out, they're not out robbing banks. They're not, they're, they're, uh, you know, we, we are in this society where we just kind of naturally try to be better than the worst we can imagine. And so we start to feel like we're kind of okay. And then we start to see a list like this, and we're like, God, those people are really bad. And I'm sure the church at Rome, when they were reading this letter for the first time, it was like they were reading through this, and they were like, yeah, all those people, they're so bad, they're evildoers, they've messed everything up, they're so bad. And then a hush fell across the church. When he got to Romans 2, verse 1. Because earlier, what did he say? What I tell you, he said, people are without excuse. That makes it feel really general. It was like, yeah, people are. Those people, they are. You're right, Paul. Yes, get them, Paul. And then he gets to the heart right here. He says, therefore, here he's talking to the church. You, well, that's different than people. You have no excuse. You have no excuse for how you've rebelled against me, for how you turned against me, for how you thought better than me, for the way you talked, for the way you've done. You have no excuse. Someday we will all die. We will stand before God and we will have no excuse. Oh man, every one of you who judges from passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Here's what we like to do. We like to take sins that are much more visible and make them way worse than, than our tendency to gossip or lose our temper or be angry. And we position that we are better because nobody sees all the things that we do and we get confused. And, and, and he says, you know what, that is no worse than this. I watched this morning, y'all ever watch Dude Perfect? talk about it all the time they were throwing boomerangs and they were standing on this uh this big target on the ground this bullseye and they did crazy things with them first i mean throwing it out one garage door and it coming in another garage door and hitting a little bottle they'd fill i mean i don't know how they do that stuff i know it's more than one take i can guarantee you that but here they did one take they the four of them stood on the the middle of this bullseye and they threw and there was just one take test let's see who can get the closest and this is, uh, this is what Paul is saying here, is that we've all missed the mark. Because, you know, it doesn't matter. One threw it, it didn't even land on a red or white ring. It was out there in the yard. One threw it, and it was four rings out. One threw it, it was one ring out. There's one ring out, a bullseye. God's expectation is a bullseye. He's telling the church. He's not saying, look at all those people. They're saying, you and I, we missed the mark. 
but there was one. There was one. And even this morning, I was like, oh, my God. He threw it, landed, one take, dead in the middle. See, Jesus Christ, he came because we were broken. Because mankind was broken. And it was going to take something that got one take that was going to be perfect. And you see, he took all of God's wrath on the cross. The one who did not deserve it. The one who was not broken. The one who did not reject God, but was constantly turning to him. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I can't do it unless my Father wants me to do it. The one who was 100% with him took the punishment that we all deserved. He brought the room, I promise, I can just feel it in my bones, to a screeching halt when he read this verse, when they read this verse from the letter. This morning, I just want to I want to ask you, we just bow our heads. If you're at home, you're here. Have we fully accepted that you're broken? That your relationship with your Creator is broken? And if you're like me, I only go to the doctor when I can't move my shoulder anymore. <laughs> I don't go for my annual exams and my physicals. I've said everything I've said this morning to get you to one point. is to realize that you are broken and that I am broken. And that we need a physician. That, that he moves on. In chapter 2 verse 8 he says. Those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. But obey unrighteousness. They will be wrath and fury. But though this righteousness in verse 22. Is given through faith. And Jesus Christ to all who believe. Have you understood that you have no excuse and the consequences of rebelling against God, of slavery to sin here, and that comes with all kinds of messes. You'll start to see it. You've seen people turn their entire life into to unrighteousness and ungodliness. It takes one simple step of faith. And while I'm here in just this moment, I want you to think that person that you are so frustrated with, that you're about ready to give up on, they are broken. You can see whether they have their relationship in the right place or not, and if not, you better believe they are broken and will live up to that. 
we look out at the world and we see all these bad things that people do and this list at the end of Romans chapter 1, we want to tell people to stop doing those things. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is all those things you are doing are just like I do. I'm broken. You need a healer. You need someone who can make you whole. You need someone who can take, take a rocky, a stony heart and turn it to flesh. And that is Jesus Christ. They need Jesus Christ. God, we just pray in this moment and this time as we all realize and I realize my own brokenness as I read through this. That I have in no right way, form, or fashion to become the judge of those around me. Except to see that they need Christ. God, I pray that in every heart that is here, God, there may be some. God, many of us here I know are Christians. We've given our life to you, but this reminder this morning... God, that the only reason that we are in church, the only reason we, we feel like we've done better is because you gave us the gift of faith. You had mercy and grace. We are no better except for our faith in you. God, let us have that heart for the lost that Brother Kelsey was talking about. I pray you bless his, uh, his message and his study Wednesday night. God, I'm sorry for the times I ignored you, that you revealed yourself both in my heart and in nature and in all around me. It was so obvious. God, I pray you use this message to draw us to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.